Welcome back to another episode of All Things Red. On today's episode, it's going to be a good one. I got the heavy hitter here, Chris Willman, a.k.a. The Boz. My man, how we doing? Good, man. Thanks for having me on. Of course. It's been a, it's been a long time since uh, we got to catch up, you know, shoot the shit. Um, how's everything going with you? Everything's going pretty well. Uh, pretty laid back right now with uh, the school just uh, ending, lacrosse kind of not in season right now. This is a nice ch- uh, chance to like, uh, relax and catch up on some sleep. <laughs> no, of course. Does it get uh, Does it get chaotic since you you play pro, you play in the NLL, and then obviously you're coaching and doing all the things you're doing over the summer. So lacrosse is like twenty four seven with you. Um, do you really have like an off season, or is it just nonstop? Not really. There is like there is a bit of an off season between. Um, because, uh, the, like, the NLL goes from October, early November to about, like, regular season is end of April. So, depending if you make playoffs, that sort of thing, you'll get, like, a couple weeks off before the senior A season starts. And then senior A typically only goes till about August, early August, end of August, depending on how far you go again in playoffs. So, typically, your off season's that, like, September, October. <laughs> so it's like two months where you're not playing. But then we're, like with me working at the Hill, like I'm coaching. So you don't really get a break from lacrosse. It's kind of go, 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 go with it. Yeah, that's what I figured. Um, well, so for people that don't know you, obviously, who is – everyone always is like, oh, that's a tough question. I've never been asked that. But like <laughs> starting it off right away, like who is Chris Willman? And just because I said the Boz, how'd you get the nickname the Boz? Even though I, even though I know, but I just yeah. want to ask from your perspective. <laughs> so, yeah, so Chris Roman, I currently work at uh, the Hill Academy up in um, it's near Toronto. It's Caledon, but for the people that don't really know Canada, we'll just say Toronto. <laughs> um, I play professional lacrosse, the NLL for the Rochester Nighthawks. Um, I went to, I played four years division one lacrosse at Hobart. That's where I met you. Mm -hmm. And then uh, after that, I uh, went and did two years of like the graduate assistant at Merrimack where I was coaching and getting my master's. But yeah, so (laughs) how I got my nickname, the boss, I think it was the first week at Hobart. I just got there and we're kind of like, I'm like, I'm a scared little freshman. All the freshmen are hanging out together, kind of clustering. And we lacrosse guys like hold like a, like a lacrosse meeting at the seniors house and we all kind of walk over there a little scared and the the seniors are just talking whatever going over the rules one of the seniors George Freeze is just kind of like not talking but it's kind of observing everyone in the (laughs) middle of a speech just goes you and he's like pointing at me and I was like yeah he's like you look identical to Brian Bosworth and I was like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay is that is that good and he's like yeah that's a good thing that's funny <laughs> so ever since then stuck and have like even now like i'll go see a bunch of like uh some of the guys from hobart and they're just like boss boss and it's like holy it'll never leave <laughs> no especially not because the the field we played on was literally called the boss yeah <laughs> that didn't that, happen either <laughs> it makes it even better so you grew up in – you're originally from Canada. You grew up near Toronto. Um, what is it? Toronto Beaches, correct? Like that general area? Well, so 
I'm actually from, I grew up in like, it's called St. Thomas, like two hours west of Toronto. And then I moved to uh, Orangeville uh, this summer. Yeah, I lived, I lived in Orangeville for five summers for, strictly for lacrosse. And then after I was done at Merrimack, uh, I moved to Orangeville full time. I live here kind of permanently now. You didn't uh, – so my buddy – before we hopped on, I was telling you about my buddy uh, Mike from uh, Toronto area as well. He went to Mercier's with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and he – so he's a teacher. Um, but had he not been a teacher, he always uh, said – because I was with him last last time I saw him, he was in but well, we went to Miami last year, and then we were in Buffalo. He came back to Buffalo, stayed with me for like a week or so. Um, he was doing a little welcome back to America tour, visiting all the boys, sense of like mm-hmm. COVID and all that shit. And he was saying like, had he not been a teacher, he strongly considered just staying in the states. Was that something like you ever thought about, or were you always like, nah, like Canada, I'm going back to Canada? Uh, honestly, I always had it kind of set in my mind. I would always eventually come back to Canada. Um, uh-huh. I'm very, mu- I'm very much like a, a homebody. Uh, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a mama's boy, to be honest. And so, Same I knew, here. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew, like, I knew I could do like schooling lacrosse away from home, but I always knew I'd be coming back to Canada at some point. That was kind of set in stone even before I got there. <laughs> what What is like um, – I, I mean, it's different for me because like Toronto – well, Toronto is only like an hour and a half, two hours. But like the Canadian border is really only like 10, 15 minutes depending traffic from uh, Buffalo. So I always considered not so much Toronto but like Niagara Falls and like Ontario is like an extension of the U.S. even though it's two different <laughs> countries really. What, what was like the major differences when you first – like when you first got to Hobart, you spent a lot of time here in America like – or as you guys say, the States, which is so funny to me, <laughs> the lingo you guys have. But um, what was like the major – were there like big major differences um, in like just – like how I don't even know how to ask that like how it is just between like U.S. and Canada no I know what you mean it's not really um one of the biggest differences I notice is you guys care a lot about your politics whereas oh Canadians <laughs> Canadians oh are Meh. they kind of do not really uh that would probably be one of the biggest ones but other than that like, it's pretty similar for the most part Right. Yeah. Like, what was your What was your first impression of that? Because there's a couple uh, Canadians that went to Mercyhurst, and they say that like they they mention that all the time. They're just like in Canada, and I don't want to like misspeak <laughs> for them. I'm just like generally yeah. saying they're like in Canada is more so of just like whatever the government says and like whatever they think is best for us. We just are like okay, cool. Like you're the government, you're smarter than us type thing, but not mm-hmm. in like a communist way. Whereas <laughs> like they're all like you guys here in America are like they could say like. Uh, jump and everyone's like go fuck yourself (laughs) (laughs) no it seriously is like that like I don't know like for the most part most Canadians are just kind of very laid back with it and they just kind of accept accept what the government does like whereas the states it's like like holy god like like I remember like like people were like like in Canada, like people openly talk about who they vote for. And then when I came to Hobart, people were like, I'm not telling you who I voted for. I was like, okay, sorry. Like, I thought I offended them. I was like, Jesus. 
Well, it's Why? crazy because that was that was my major at Hobart was political science and international law. And I thought the same thing because like how I grew up, like my family, like we were very open about like what we thought, like and we would have discussions. But I never honestly knew like what anyone in my family's like politics were just because it was like, like you said, like it was like, OK, like it's whatever. This is just what it is. But like same thing. I got the Hobart and I'm like, OK, cool. Like I'm going to get to know like what people think, you know, open myself yeah. up to new ideas, opinions nope <laughs> you say <laughs> nope you say you say like if if one person's like i think abc and you're like oh well i understand that but i kind of think xyz and they're like how dare you you're the devil yeah. it's like oh whoa, my whoa, god whoa, buddy <laughs> yeah like I, like i'm not trying to like offend you or anything i'm just like you asked you just asked my opinion like i don't even know why yeah. i think that i'm just saying that's what i think <laughs> yeah i remember and I forget what class it was. It was like a, it was some political science class. And like one of the things I always tried to hide in these classes was the fact I was Canadian because the professors would always ask, they'd be like, oh, like you're an outsider, basically. Like, what do you think of this? And it was during like the Trump, like Hillary election. And I was like, so I was like really trying to fly under the radar here. I didn't want to be asked any of these questions. 100%. And finally, like, and one of the professors finally, like, got wind. I was Canadian. And literally the next class, he was like, hey, you're from Canada. Like, what do you think of what's going on in, uh, like, this, in the U.S. right now? And I was like, and I, like, I knew the class was, like, divided. So I was like, oh, God. Uh, I, <laughs> I literally was just like, I think, honestly, what's going on is hilarious to me. And he was like, excuse me? And I think it's like literally out of a comic book. Like this is what like people write jokes about is what's going on. And, I'm, and I was like, I don't want to actually say my opinion to you though. So we're going to end it there. <laughs> no, no, no. I was the same way. Cause like at Mercyhurst, like we used to have like classes where um, they would talk about these things. And part of your t participation was like participating in the debate saying what you said and stuff like that but i always i always was like is like outgoing and is like big of a personality as i have and those type of things i like to be the last to speak because i like to hear what everyone else has to say and i just like mm -hmm. to be an observer and like to be very objective because like i honestly don't think i know shit like i think i'm the dumbest <laughs> person when it comes to those type of things like i really do like i'm just like i don't know i'm just telling you what i think but i could be wrong mm -hmm. and so i was the same way i didn't want to say anything because i said to my professor i said oh, listen i do i'm not saying this like making fun of anyone or anything but like because he said similar thing he asked like us like what our opinions were and stuff like that like just on like the culture and like everything going on and i was like honestly i think people's brains are broken and he was like, what do you yeah. mean? And he's like, explain that. And I was like, I, I'm like, I, I, I don't feel comfortable. I'm just like, I just want to let you know. I just like, like you said, it's just, it's very comical to me because it's just like, you love someone and you're friends with them. But the second they open their mouths and it's like polar opposite of what you think, it's immediately like, you're the devil. You need to be banned. It's like, okay, dude, yeah. like, no, this is not, this is not my avenue. Like, I know, like I stay in my lane and this is just not for me. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Yeah, so um, Hobart, right? You you played D one lacrosse at Hobart. Um, what were there any other schools that you were getting recruited by? Um, I would imagine so. That were D one schools. Yeah, so my recruiting process was incredibly weird because so I went to the Hill Academy for grades eleven and grade twelve, and when I first went to the Hill, I was actually a short stick. I played midfield, and. Um, 
I didn't pick up. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't pick up my pole until like we had like one week of per- like everything's done. Like the hill used to do this, where basically after our year end tournament, we would still practice. So there was one week left left of practicing for the school year, and I got a call from Brody Merrill. And he was like, listen, he's like, he's like, we need to have an honest conversation. And he's, he's like, I know you're coming back for grade 12. Um, he's like, I know you really, like, I really struggled that year just with living away from home. Like, and I didn't really play as a short stick either. So I was like trying to, I was struggling with, uh, with those. And then he's like, um, he's like, you have two options. You can stay a short stick and you'll be, he's like, I see you being our seventh, eighth, ninth or 10th midi basically so basically i'd be in the same boat wouldn't play and he's like or he's like we think if we put a pole in your hands you could potentially start so he basically he didn't give me like an ultimatum but he was like he's like do you do you really want to play or do you want to just sit on the bench for another year and so he's like you can he's like we'll give you a pole let you try it out and then uh and he's like if you don't like it play short stick and we'll see what happens next year and so i picked up the pole kind of for that last week, loved it. I loved like two-handed guys and not being the one two-handed. So I was like, this is a great change for me. And then, uh, so grade 12, I went um, to a couple recruiting tournaments and then the main school was Hobart that reached out, but they were the only school that was going to be offering me like right from grade 12, the other schools I had to PG. And just with like kind of my like family situation. I couldn't like, it was, it would have been very difficult for me to come back and do a PG year. Mm-hmm. So it just it made the most sense for me to go to Hobart. But yeah, I had I'm trying to think it's so long. It's got, that was like almost eight years ago. now. <laughs> Dude, it's, it's crazy. Cause <laughs> I, before I let you finish, it's crazy because I don't feel like it was that long ago. And then I look back and I'm like, wow. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I, we're getting old. <laughs> <laughs> so old now. Oh, but yeah, I think there was probably like four or five other schools that I was taught, like kind of interested. It was like, I think it was like kind of like one of those, like they were interested, but they didn't have a ton of money for me. So it was like, like not really, <laughs> but yeah, but Hobart was like my main kind of, school that I was interested in and I I remember I visited Hobart in I want to say like October and Noel McGinnis was my host incredible host <laughs> and we um whatever we go up me and my mom go up that week and we see the school we love the school um but the financial side didn't really work out uh, for us like we could like the school couldn't offer us enough money blah 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 so we actually, like, I didn't talk to Raymond from end of October until randomly out of the blue at like seven o'clock at night on like a Wednesday, I get a text from Raymond and he goes, I think I figured out a way to get you into school. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. Nice. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, it's like, I think it's, like the money part, I don't think I'm not worried about getting in. He's like, no, 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 we figured that out. I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> and so after like a couple weeks, we had to, like my, my mom, not me, she had to like submit all these forms. It was like a two weeks of hell for her. 
she was stressed because mm-hmm. of all these forms. She's yelling at me because I don't have the answers. I'm like, oh, God. But so, yeah, after those two weeks, we submitted these forms. And um, thankfully, I was able to get in. Like, the financial side worked out for me. And I ended up committing to Hobart. I want to say it was like Easter weekend because we, we were away with the Hill playing a game. And I committed to Hobart at, I think, 1030 at night because we were out to dinner and my phone died. So I had to wait, charge my phone, call Raymond back. Like, yeah, I, I'm coming. And I'm 90% sure I woke him up from a sleep. And he's like, nice. Okay. We'll talk <laughs> nice. to you. He's like, we'll, we'll talk tomorrow. You don't have to call me at 10 o'clock at night. You're like, okay. Sorry, I'm excited. Yeah, he probably gave you that look. Like, you know the look I'm talking about where, like, you sit yeah. on him and he just, like, has a smile on his face and he's just like, okay. Yeah, he's like, all right. Talk to you tomorrow at a normal hour. Yeah, no, literally. Um, couple things there. You said that, like, rewinding it to your conversation with Brody for, you know, anyone listening that doesn't – that may not know who Brody Merrill is, one of the best lacrosse players, you know, arguably to ever play defense, uh, defensive side of the ball. Did you, because I know a lot of kids when they're younger, they're very set in their ways. Like, I want to play, I want to play this position. This is the only position I want to play. Um, whereas like me, like I was dead set on playing attack. Like I didn't want to run. I didn't want to play midfield. <laughs> and then one of my coaches in high school is just like, I hate to break it to you, but like with your size, you're not like as explosive and as skilled on the attack side of the ball to get you recruited anywhere like good. You need to be playing midfield. And for me, I was just like, I don't want to do that. And he's like, okay, well then you're not going to be playing in college. And I was just like, okay, well, what do I know? I'll do it. And then that's for. Did you like when Brody said that, were you all on board because it was Brody Merrill or were you kind of like, well, I don't really want to do that. Like what was like going through your head at that time? If you remember. Well, I remember. So at that point, because earlier in the year when I first went to the Hill um, before then I was like mainly like an offensive, offensive midfielder, like mainly an O guy in box. Um, So and then that summer, actually, I was tra- or that year, I was drafted to play junior A lacrosse for Toronto Beaches. And uh, they immediately put me on D. And I was like, no, no, I'm an O guy. I'm an O guy. Um, and then I go through the hill where I was like, when I first get there, I'm like, I'm an O guy. And they're like, no, nope, you're going to play D midi. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So kind of up until that point, I had kind of been like, you know, I was almost like getting prepared for that moment, I guess. Um, but so like with everything that happened at the Hill, uh, like, like not really playing, I was just kind of like, at this point, I, like, I don't even care where, what position I play. I just want to be on the field. Like, I'm sick of like, what, like, cause I remember we'd be like playing these like boys, Latin, Calvert Hall, um, like Landon. And I'm like, end of the bench standing on the side like some of these games it's like freezing cold so you're literally just standing there shivering for an hour and I was like I don't want to be that person I want to be that person on the field like making an impact play and so it also helps to have Brody Merrill being the one like hey I think he could do this I'm like oh you probably know what you're talking about let's give it a try (laughs) yeah no see that's like that's why I asked it that way because if had I had a coach like Brody Merrill tell me that I'd be like absolutely because I, because, because it's one of those things where it's just like, 
nowadays like everyone everyone knows what they're talking about right that's like the mm-hmm. culture of the world today whereas and a lot of people are like oh, show me like at least i feel like our generation at least is like well show me before i agree to doing it whereas like the older yeah. generations were like okay we do what we're told yes i'll listen because you're you know you're the leader you're the boss like whatever um but like when the coach that told me that i was just like okay, well, we don't have that many middies. Are you bullshitting me? Like, why Why would I do that? And then I had, yeah. like, other coaches tell me that as well. And I'm like, okay, fine, then I'll do it. But had, but I had, like, the same mindset of, like, yo, I just want to play in college and I just want to, like, I don't want to not be on the field. So I'll do whatever it takes to get, like, recruited. Mm-hmm. Um, with, um, I know with, like, Hobart, did you necessarily know what Hobart was at first? Like, did you know of the school? Because when TW, because TW recruited me. Um, mm-hmm. because I, I was there before Raymond was there, TW recruited me. And when he called and left me a voicemail and he said he was the head coach at Hobart, I was like, I don't even know what that is. And it wasn't until <laughs> I looked it up and saw like their schedule and saw that it was D one. And you know, they, they play like Syracuse Cornell every year. Um, at the time our conference was the ECAC. So mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it was, it was Michigan's first year, uh, Michigan's first year in D one. And then, it, uh, Ohio state, Denver, Loyola, um air force bellarmine like all those schools so i was just like okay sure like i'll check it out like i don't know anything about this place was that was was that the case with you or do you always know what hobart was because like when i told my friends i was going to hobart they were like what the hell is that and like i feel like most people don't know like like what hobart is honestly i was the exact same way when i first i when i first got raymond's emails expressing his interest like i thought it was like a spam email I was like, what the hell is Hobart and William Smith Colleges? Yes. And it wasn't until, so I didn't respond to Raymond for like probably like three weeks initially. And finally, my, the coach who was co- the head coach of the team at the Hill, Hill that I was on is Merrick Thompson, who's now an assistant at uh, Albany. He, I like went out to him and we were talking. I was like, yeah, like I got this like weird email from like Greg Raymond from like Hobart and William Smith Colleges. And he, I was like, I think it's like a fake one. And he's like, you are so dumb. He's like, that's a D1 school, you idiot. Show me the email. And I like showed it to him. And he's like, they're recruiting you. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. I did, Like I said, I had the exact same reaction because I was at like uh... – I was at a carnival with like a bunch of my friends and I like didn't know the number. So I put it to voicemail and I heard it and it was like, Hey, this is, have you ever met TW? No, I never met him. Oh, he's got a little Southern. He's got a, at least in my opinion, he's got a little Southern twang in his voice. <laughs> so, and then he said Hobart and I'm like, yo, this, I think I'm being, I think I'm being fucked with. Like, I think I'm getting yeah. pranked. And so same thing. And then I just like told my mom and my mom's like, well, check it out. And then like, we looked it up and I saw the schedule and I'm like, yo, I literally have never heard this school before ever. I'm like, they play all these teams. And then I didn't even realize that like the Krauss Simmons, like it's a big, um, every yeah. year Syracuse, big game. Um, and then the following year is when they, I don't think, did they beat, I don't remember if they beat them, but that was like the year um, I want to say love. Love went off, and I think Love was only yeah. a sophomore at the time. Cam, yeah, they, de- Cam- they beat him that year. Okay, they beat him. That, okay, yeah. So they beat him, um, and I was like, oh, I'm like, okay, I'm definitely going to check out this school then. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just funny because it's, like, such a small school. Um, and then one of the other things that I was completely oblivious to, which now that you're a coach, 
um, do you have conversations with kids around is the economics and the financial side of how expensive school is because Hobart is a very, very expensive school. And I don't want to speak for any of the kids that go there, but you know it as well as I do. A lot of kids that go there come from money, like not like just Mm -hmm. money, but like money, money. So (laughs) I feel, and they get, they get a lot of, um, they get a lot of uh, like endowments and a lot of people give back and stuff like that. And it definitely is a really good school with like networking, connecting, getting your career kicked off the right way. Um, So do you think that had Hobart been, school because it's like almost like 60 grand a year do you it's think if Hobart now, I think it's almost 80 80 yeah I think oh, the last time I checked it was like, like a couple years ago it was like 74 74 oh, 75 my. yo that's insane I'm so I'm so glad I have no debt <laughs> I'm so <laughs> glad I have no college debt yeah I yeah I did I skate because my mom was always like yo you need to get good grades she's like if mm-hmm. you don't like if you're not like a top 10 player you're not getting a, a full ride. School's expensive. You need to have good grades. So that's mm-hmm. how, like, that's what helped me, like, with Hobart. But do you think that Hobart, because they just got grandfathered in where they can start recruiting kids and giving out scholarships yeah. now. Um, do you think that had they been like that from the jump and the school was a little bit uh, less expensive, or I should say inexpensive, do you think they'd get better recruits? Or, like, what's your thought on that? Yeah, I think, it would, like, it definitely was a difficult – like thing that like Hobart had to navigate, right? Because mm-hmm. it is it is expensive. So when it is that price, um, you do have to go after like particular groups of people and families, right? Kind of mm-hmm. limits who you're able to go after. A hundred percent. I do think though, Raymond. Not that he like worked the system, but I think he's kind of figured figured it out a bit, where he's able to land some of these bigger recruits that where he's able to get a little bit more money from other areas. Right. But I do think having that ability to offer now athletic money, it just opens up like a whole different landscape of kids that you're able to get. Um, Yeah. Do, um, do you have that combo with, with uh, any of your players? Like when they're like, how hands-on are you with, um, cause there's, a lot of players, at least from my, like, I would say ignorant point of view from afar, from the Hill Academy that go and play in college. So do you have that hands-on approach with them where, you know, you're active, like talking with them about different offers they have and then just breaking down like the economics to it? Because there was a school not naming names um, that offered me, but, and I really wanted to go to, like, I was even shocked they even offered me. It was another D1 school, but they were only offering me like crumbs financially Mm -hmm. and i was like i don't care i'm coming here like let's go this is is awesome and mom's like john no she's just like look if you're good you're good number one and number two you uh she's like do you really want to have all that debt when you get out of school and i'm like oh i'm gonna be making bank so what's it matter like you know you're 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 young you're naive and stuff like that yeah and the school was i don't even think they were offering me like ten thousand a semester like way less than that And my mom was just like, look, and she like broke down the economics for me. And I was just like, okay, well, as much as I would love to go to that school, I definitely like don't want to have that much in debt that I would have to pay back like immediately upon graduating. Um, And I feel like a lot of kids, especially since financial literacy is not taught in school, um, you know, at the middle school nor high school levels, 
um, at least out here in the States, it's not. Um, mm-hmm. Did you ever have those conversations with your with any of your players? Like, look, D1's D1. If you're good, you're good. No need to go to a school like Virginia. And that Virginia wasn't the school that offered me. I'm not saying that. But <laughs> there's no need to go to a school like Virginia where everyone is an Under Armour All-American, is a stud. You're getting five, ten grand a semester versus going to a school like Hobart or, you know, a mid-level school. Um, where you're getting almost a full ride. Like, do you have those conversations with kids or no? Yeah, we actually do. So with like the main team at the Hill is like, or for the men's side is the prep team. And so that's like your grade 12s and PGs. So the kids that are able to get recruited, then if like there's a really good grade 11 or 10, we'll pull them up to the prep team and they'll play with us. But so we actually kind of this year, what we did is we broke up the team because we, this was like the largest, I think, roster we had there was like 50 guys in the roster this year for a high school mm-hmm. roster which is absurd but we broke up the team through um all the coaches and basically in the fall we would meet with uh all everyone in our group at minimum once a month um and we kind of go over recruiting where they're at um but the first like the, our first meeting we asked basically everyone to come with a list of schools where they want to go if they're not sure of schools like basically come with what they want like do you want to be close to home do you want to be in the sun like a year round uh do you really care you really and so they would come with those schools and some conversations were a little bit more difficult and we'd have like honest conversations you'd be like you know what we this is where we see you where this is where your kind of skill level is um, but for the most part, a lot, for the most part, a lot of these kids were very kind of self-aware and would have like realistic schools that they'd be able to attend. And so in part of those recruiting meetings, we're also kind of going over like f- not specific financials with their families, but like mm-hmm. we're, we're talking about realistic offers and what they can kind of see or what they can kind of expect to be offered for them. No, 100%. Now, like, do you get kids that get, like, offers based on their potential? And they're like, coach, I got offered by, like, say, like, Maryland or Virginia. And they're all excited. Do you ever, like, do you ever not put a not, – I don't want to say break it to a kid. Like, hey, listen, <laughs> you're not Maryland. You're not the you're not at the level of Maryland. But do you ever break it down where it's just like, okay, here, you're getting – you got you got an offer from Maryland, Virginia, and then you got an offer from, like, say, Hobart, Robert Morris, stuff like that. Are you ever, mm-hmm. like, hey, look – you go to Virginia or Maryland, you may never touch the field because every kid they have coming in is a stud and you may, you may have to bust your ass like crazy just to crack, like say second line. Whereas if you go to a school like Hobart or Robert Morris, not saying that they're bad, definitely can compete. Um, Mm -hmm. But if you go to a school like say Hobart, for example, um, you by your sophomore year, you might be a starter. Yeah. Yeah. Those are definitely conversations we do have. Um, they're like, it kind of like, we kind of frame them in a way where it's basically, what do you want of your college experience? Basically like, like, uh, like, do you want to go there? And like, like you said, like there's a chance you may never sniff the field. Like you'll just be on the bench for four years. Or do you want to go to a school where you can potentially be a four year starter? Right. So it's kind of, working with them and their goals and like and I find for the most part too like they kind of know as well like they are aware they're like you know what like I might not 
like I might, I could go to this like Maryland, but never play. I'd rather be able to be an uh, impact player right away. Yeah, no, because I always wonder that because I, because I, because like coaches, I feel like because it's an, an indictment on coaches. It's like yeah, they got like a lot of kids that are even or a couple kids that are going to like a big time program. So like I've like I've been around. Um, certain coaches where like they're gassing up their player and it's just like yo he has no business going to that school and i'm not saying that out of like being a hater it's just like yo like that kid has no idea what to expect and when he gets there it's it might fuck up his self-esteem or his confidence in playing because like not like that was something that like i experienced like when i got to hobart i i never really played against kids that were like absolute studs besides like when i played with like jackson at timon um, because they had Adam DeMillo who went to Maryland, Connor Fields, who everyone knows Connor Fields, um, okay. Conroy, Jackson Brown, like they were, they were all like D1 kids. So like, I was like, okay, cool. Like I can compete with them. That's what it's going to be like. And then my freshman year, I got to Hobart and I was like, holy shit, this is another level. <laughs> I was like, this is yeah. another level. I was like, I was not prepared for this. Like, um, yeah. so I always wondered like how coaches have those conversations with kids because like, you don't want to like knock the kid and be like, Hey, you're not good enough to play here because like obviously D one's D one's, but at the same time, there are levels to, to D one. Mm-hmm. Like, Absolutely. like, like Maryland played Vermont and smashed them. So it's like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I think it's a more of like a disservice to the kid. If you don't have these conversations that like you kind of need to, um, and it's not even, it's just like kind of like making them aware of the situation. It's like, Hey, like, like you can, like you have the ability to go play at Maryland, but the reality is you might not play. Whereas if you go to this school, you'll, you're, you have a better chance of seeing time right away. Yeah. And do you think that your experience from playing at like an elite level, like obviously you played at Hobart, um, you started, you now play pro lacrosse in the NLL. Do you think that those experiences allow you to ultimately be a better coach? Because there are coaches that did not like play at the level you played, nor have been as successful as you and are still hell of a coaches. Or do you think that that is just, you know, a case by case basis? Um, I think it kind of depends. I think for me personally, like coming to the hill and being coached by such great coaches and going to Hobart and being coached by Raymond, like Hirsch and Poyon and uh, Turry. And then <clears throat> moving on to like Merrimack with like um, the coaching staff there and then now playing pro, I think that has helped me into become a better coach, right? I've kind of taken, like, I try and be my own person. Like I try and take bits and pieces from everyone that I've learned through, over the course of the years Mm-hmm. And try and implement that to be my own person. But I think it definitely has helped shape me. because There's so many different great lacrosse minds that have been able to like pick their brains, right. To kind of come up with maybe different ideas or different strategies. Um, and then again, even like, and I think one of the best things to help you be a better coach is to like play at a high level and kind of be having that a, having that opportunity to have played in college and then play pro now. It just like, I'm like constantly learning, right. I'm by no means a perfect coach. I still have a lot of work to do a lot of things I can work on personally, but like having that ability to still play, to still be able to like talk to other coaches, right. And pick their brains and playing. It just allows me to like, kind of put myself in that situation. So I can kind of like be able to like draw it up on like a chalkboard and kind of talk it through as a team. 
No, absolutely. What are the things, just because, like, I just from playing with him, I'm just curious to see what you have to say. What are, like, what are the things that you t- you take from from Raymond? Because I know, like, when I was talking with Frank, Frank coaches at Canisius now, mm-hmm. and he was saying that he talks to Raymond all the time. Um, not like on, hey, what should I do or how to do? Just, like, just they just talk all the time about coaching, talk, like, X's and O's, stuff like that. Um, what are the, what are the things that you take from him the most, like from a coach's aspect, since like we both played for him? Yeah. One of the things, it's not even really an X's and O's type thing. It's more so just like, like work ethic and hard work, right? He, that was kind of like what he embodied, right? And that was like the bare minimum for him. And so Mm -hmm. I try and like implement that into like my daily life and then also into my coaching. Right. So like, that's like the standard, like the standard is in everything you do, right. Whether it's, you're going to a class at 8am, whether it's uh, right. You're showing up to work out in your proper outfit, right. Wearing the team issued stuff, whether it's showing up to practice on time or even communicating Right. If you have to miss stuff, right. You're always going to do everything to the best of your ability. And that was something, something that I kind of took away from him. And it's kind of, and I give a lot to him to help because he's one of the uh, people that have helped me grow the most individually. No, I can, I completely agree. I mean, I only played for him for about a year and a half before I transferred, Mm -hmm. but that was something that like, I, I still to this day say that he was the best coach I ever had be more so like, obviously like best coach X's and O's wise, obviously. And then like for um, the off the field stuff, like you said, like the work ethic, the mentality stuff, how to approach, like how, like Frank and I were talking about this. Like he's, he's very good at getting you to understand how you approach the game is how you should approach life. Mm-hmm, exactly. And he is like, I attribute like a lot of who I am and what, how I act now to my, to him and being at Hobart and kind of just being exposed to like his kind of mentality and mindset. Were, were you there? You, if you, you were either a freshman or you weren't there yet. Were you there when I had to make the team run? No, that was the year before I got Oh there. my <laughs> gosh. Okay. So first of all, we're, do, we're doing the run test. Like this is like, this is still like, I want to say like, uh, this is early September. So we did our run test. Um, we did our run test and then we had our first like fall practice, stuff like that. And just because I got to experience uh, TW, Scanlon and Williamson. And then mm-hmm. Raymond came in just like shot out of a cannon. Like, yo, like, I don't care who started last year. I don't care who played last year. I don't care who was an All-American. I don't give a damn about any of that. We're going to play the best players and we're going to find out who the men are and who the boys are. Very like, like, you know how he is like very yeah. like, I don't give a damn. Like we're like, we're going to be rough riders. And I was just like, okay, this is going to be different. And I'll never forget. I, I, so I got back from class. I had a lift and I took, I was like, oh, okay. I got 20 minutes. Like I'm going to take a nap. I'm like, but I'm not going to fall asleep. I'm not that tired. And I didn't set my alarm. I slept through the entire lift. I wake oh, up God. from a, with, from a call. I wake up from a uh, Poyon calling me Poyon calls me and he's just like, he's like, the hell are you doing? And I was just like, Oh, I'm like, I, yeah, my coach, I fucked up. Like I completely missed lift. Like, I'm sorry. He goes, okay, you're gonna, um, he goes, I'm not telling coach. 
he goes, you're going to have to call coach and tell him yourself. Um, he goes, but you need to do it ASAP and you better do it before practice. And if I find out you didn't, um, you're not going to like the consequence. And I'm just like, oh, oh God. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, uh, here we go. You know how Poyan was too. So I'm like, oh, here we go. So yeah. I called, I called, Raymond already knew though. That's the thing. Like Raymond already knew. <laughs> and so I called him and I was just like, and he goes, yeah, what's up? Mr. Antonio, you have something to tell me? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, okay. He goes, you're going to be leading practice today. That's all he said. He goes, you're going to be leading practice today. And um, he made – everyone was wearing full sweats. It wasn't that hot out. It was like 75, but still, like full sweats. And we were on those – what was uh, what were those apartments? Odell's? Yeah, Odell's. <laughs> okay, so it was the field the, – those those fields right, like, next to Odell's. Like, not the mm. – uh, not our turf field, like the stadium. It was yeah. Odell's. And he had everyone wearing full sweats. And I had me and Griffin Kelly, uh, Griffin transferred before you got there. I think he ended up transferring to either Ohio State or Marquette. But um, he had Griffin Kelly in it because Griffin missed lift too. He had Griffin Kelly and I blowing the whistle. We were allowed to be in t-shirt and shorts. Everyone else was in sweats. Full field suicides. That's all they did the entire practice. And then like me, I felt really bad. So I'm like barely blowing the whistle. And he's like, blow the damn whistle. He's like, are they keep running? (laughs) And then, like, afterwards, I had to apologize to the team. Like, um, no one, like, did anything, obviously, but it literally looked like everyone wanted to fight me on, on site. Yeah. I was just like, yo. <laughs> I was like, oh. it, that's all the practice was, was just nonstop. Like, and I had to be the one yelling at them, making them run, and, like, blowing the whistle, and then calling people out if they didn't touch the line. And oh, I would, my God. I have never been <laughs> – I genuinely don't care like about a lot of things like I don't mean not care but I'm saying like a lot of things I just like they just roll off my back like it's like okay Mm -hmm. on to the next no need to dread I've never been more embarrassed in my life still to this day I was (laughs) like wow this is what it's like to let your teammates down yeah Raymond's good at exposing that getting that out of you (laughs) 1000% now um you, what was your like overall experience playing at Hobart? Cause in my honest opinion, like I said, like I didn't really play, I didn't play at a high school where like it was a lacrosse hotbed. Um, I didn't really start playing really good lacrosse until, and when I say really good lacrosse, not myself, but I'm saying being around kids that play like really good teams, like a bunch of the teams mm-hmm. you named from like Maryland, like, you know, uh, playing against boys Latin summer club team, um, Landon, uh, what's there's the Loyola Blakefield, like those schools, um, in summer tournaments and then playing in the Adidas underclassmen games and like all those things. That was the first time I was exposed to like that level of like, okay, this is what I'm going to be going up against in college. And then Mm -hmm. when I got to Hobart, the, just the, the day to day behind the scenes that most people don't see, like it's obvious, it's like a full-time job and then you have school on top of it. And then, Obviously, like, I didn't play at all my freshman year. So when you're so used to playing and being one of, like, the main guys on your team and you go to being, like, essentially a nobody and you kind of have to, like, wait your turn. And then – but you still got to – you still got to participate in that grind. You still got to do all the lifts. You still got to do all the conditioning. You got to do everything. And you're busting your ass and you're getting no reward from it. Uh, For a lot of kids, it's super defeating. Um, Yeah. What – what, like, what are some things that, like – that I would say most people don't know that you would say they should be exposed to before they go and make their decision because D1 is way different. Like when I transferred to Mercyhurst, that was D2. The workload at Mercyhurst was a joke compared to what we did at Hobart. Even though the lacrosse was good, it was just the workload was a joke. 
compared to compared to Hobart. I'm not saying the workload in general is a joke, but just strictly compared to D1 and being at Hobart, it was an absolute joke. And then I've had buddies that have played at like Cortland, Ithaca, and they're just like, dude, it's like high school practice. So um, getting a little long-winded here, my buddy Ben Brooks, he was good enough to play at some of these top D1 schools. And I asked him, like, why'd you choose Mercyhurst? And he's like, dude, my brother played at Mercyhurst. I saw how hard the guys partied. They won a national championship. And I knew that was me. I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't want to do all that work and play D1. I knew I could play mm-hmm. D1, but I didn't want to play D1. So like when you're helping kids, um, coaching them and stuff, do you go through those things with them? And like, what, from your opinion, were things that caught you off guard when you got there and things that you didn't expect? Yeah. So I think one of the biggest kind of challenges and it is difficult to do at such a young age right most of these kids are making these decisions before they're even 18 right is almost trying to figure out what your priorities are and what you're looking for out of your college experience mm-hmm. right because there is like it's not a shot at anything but there is a difference between d1 d2 and d3 major and difference so, in my opinion yeah mm-hmm, absolutely and so right d1 is your typical right? It's almost like a professional team, essentially, for four years, where you have classes on top of that. You're, pra- you're like, practice in the fall and winter, you're practicing three, four times a week, lifting two or three times again. And then the spring, you're lifting three times a week, and you practice five, and then play, have a game every weekend. So um, I think it's just figuring out, like, what works for that individual and what's best for them. Um, Right. Again, like there's other factors that come into play, like major what they're looking for um, and that sort of thing. But um, for me personally, I was always I think the hill. Well, I know I, the hill had a large part of this uh, was getting me ready for it, because for me, to when I went to the hill, I had to move away from residence uh, when I was how old are you when you you're grade 11 like 16 17 right so i moved uh, away from yeah i was just, so 11th grade what is that junior year yeah i was 17 yeah so i moved away i moved 2 hours away from my parents and this is and this is someone who's like very much a homebody and at this point hadn't really been that far away from my family and so like i, I like like i said earlier like i struggled my with being homesick for my grade 11 year Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of that, so like being away from home at such a young age and then kind of being a little bit like having to be a little bit more like responsible and self-sufficient, that kind of helped shape me and kind of get me ready mm-hmm. for Hobart. Like I think practice wise, I didn't find it that big of a jump to go from the hill to Hobart. Like I, obviously there was a jump in terms of like, yes, it's a little bit faster. The like, people are a little bit bigger, but I didn't, that for me wasn't difficult. The biggest challenge for me going in was the academic side of things. Um, I'm like, I am, like, I'm not the smartest person. Like I'm not very academically inclined, but I have to work hard to get good grades. And so kind of when I went to Hobart, that was like the first thing I noticed. I was like, wow, like I, no one's, like hovering over me, making sure I'm going to class. So like the first month, I don't think, like I probably went to maybe two 8 a.m. classes. And I had an 8 a.m. like probably five days a week. 
<laughs> 2 8 a.m. class. You ever get caught? <laughs> well, so, sort of, because it came out like like I was like failing these classes, obviously, because I'm not there. And Hobart, you have like such a participate, like because it's a smaller school, you have smaller class sizes. So the professors know who you are. Yeah. So like a professor literally asked me, he's like, "Are you even in this class?" He's like, "Oh yeah, I think so." <laughs> I'm like, "I'm on the attendant." Yeah, they want the attendant. So like, that was the biggest wake up call for me. Um, it was just kind of that, like, like no one's really watching over you, right? No one's gonna mm-hmm. make sure you're doing the right things uh, for the academic side, unless you like, unless you like reach out directly to them. So that's mm-hmm. kind of what I had to do. I kind of got off on the wrong foot academically speaking for at Hobart for the first month and a half. And then I, I was able to kind of fix that. Um, but that would be the biggest thing for me was the academic side. The academic Do you think job. it was, did you think Hobart was a hard school? Um, <laughs> I think it depends think it was, on what, it depends on what your workload. major is. Okay. Well, the workload they give you, they give you a lot of work but I think it depends on your major like um like I I remember like a lot of kids like were went to the economics program and I remember I met with I used to meet with Dean Mapstone the first year Dean I'd meet with the minimum twice a year for four years yeah I would be a senior meeting with the first year Dean but we would go over classes professors who's good I remember he put me in this, it was called Russian economics. And it was, yeah, it was the hardest course I've ever taken in my life. And uh, uh, Cole Bardwell was in the class and he's the only reason I even passed the class. I had no idea what was going going on at any point in the semester. But he like, so like this, like economics, just based off this one class, I'm assuming is very difficult. But yeah, I think the workload is what is the most difficult for Hobart. I was a psychology major there. And when we got into our upper level classes, like we're read, we're basically reading like 20 to like 50, 60 page research papers. And then we have to like analyze them. So it's more so was it, I didn't find the work necessarily the hardest. It was just how much you had to do to stay on top of things. No, of course. Yeah, no, well, I only asked that because, like, when I got to uh, Mercyhurst, it sounds like I'm, it, it sounds like I'm trashing Mercyhurst, like, it's a joke of a school. <laughs> I'm just, like, I'm I'm only comparing it to Hobart. That's all I'm doing. Um, mm-hmm. But I thought the workload was a joke, and I thought the classes were a joke as well. Now, I say that because I had, I graduated, like, just over a three, but that was because, like, I never did anything. Yeah. We're at, like... Hobart, I'm slaving away, and I'm just breaking over a three zero. Yeah, well, I remember I kind of put myself in a hole uh, my first year, well, first semester freshman year, just because mm-hmm. again you only have what like three four months in it in first semester, and for a month and a half I didn't go to half the classes. That but so uh, yeah, so I went. So I think I had like a it was like a two point two, two point three GPA, and I, like I know the NCAA minimum to play is a 1.7 but Mm -hmm. most schools have their own and at Hobart you need a minimum of a 2.0 GPA and so after the first semester Raymond sat me down in his office and was like hey like you know what he's like you aren't the smartest person academically he's like that's fine (laughs) (laughs) yeah he's like that's fine 
but just know, like, you have no wiggle room now. You've left yourself with no wiggle room. He's like, you fail a class or you get a bad grade, you are ineligible to play. He's like, and this is just the reality of it. And so um, that's actually when I started meeting with Dean Mapstone. And so we'd kind of go over classes. We'd talk, like, maybe, like, a bit of strategies to help me. But I always found it was, like, in season – like in, during the spring, my GPA was always significantly higher than in the fall, right? Because you don't have, like in the spring, you have very limited time to do stuff because you have practice every day, you're lifting, right? And on yeah. top of that, you have to inc- include your classes. So I was a little bit more dialed in in the spring, but. No, I, speaking of econ, dude, I took it twice, fell twice. <laughs> and I wear it with the, I honestly wear it with a badge of honor because like I'm at that point, like once I failed it twice, I was like, I don't even care anymore. <laughs> I'm just like, this just isn't for me. Um, no, but I had that problem too. Like uh, when I failed econ, same type of thing. He's like, yo, like you, you can't fail another class. Otherwise you're not going to be able to play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you only have so many classes too. And you got to get a certain amount of credits, but yeah. Um, so kind of switching it up here. Um, Hobart, like you played D1 lax in college that's field lacrosse but you mainly grew up playing box and you play pro um box lacrosse right now what do you mm-hmm. think because i played box one summer and it was i i want to say it was junior b maybe lower than that I, I don't even know um but i had the time of my life i had more fun playing box that one summer than i did all of like my years playing field the only thing that kind of like like threw me off and it took me a second to like kind of like get my bearings was like I'm so used to switching hands all the time and playing with both hands that like playing like one side, like I'm on the right side. I stay on the right side. Yeah. That's the, that's the only thing that kind of threw me off. But I personally thought I got so much better stick skills and just like spacing and like how to, you know, create my own shot and stuff like that from playing box. Um, And obviously you see now more and more D one teams are incorporating box into like their winter programs or their fall programs and stuff like that. Um, what is like your opinion on box? Like, do you think it makes you better in the field game? And then like, how do you think it could, cause it's different, like in the States, I feel like, I feel like besides like Canada and then obviously like the reservations, there's not many kids that play box at a young age. It's, it's ultimately mm-hmm. like, not until you get to like college that you're playing box. Like I never played box until I was junior in college. Yeah. Uh, I think box across definitely has its advantages, right? that'll translate to the field game Mm -hmm. um i think just for starters right it's it is a condensed space um you don't have a lot of opportunity like whereas in field if you're like kind of getting beat up on or checked like you like you have space you can run away whereas box like if someone's doing that to you like you don't really have anywhere you can go and then on top of that too what really helped was the um I know it has it now, but there's like a shot clock, right? So you had 30 seconds to basically create a shot for your team. Otherwise, it was a turnover the other way. Um, And so I think it just kind of helped with, right, within that limited time, limited spacing, right, you have to be able to create – you have to have good stick skills, A, for that to work, and then you have to be able to create your own shot a bit, right? So whether that's – Right, like you're working like a two-man game and you're like setting a hard pick or like a pick and pop type thing, right? So that's where I think Canadians have a just a slight advantage, right? You kind of see it a little more with the field game tr- going to like a lot of two-man games now. Like mm-hmm. Canadians have been playing 
because of box across they like they've been playing this system for like years right for growing up so they kind of yeah. like, they have the, they i kind of understand like how to play and how to create your own shot and the flip side defensively right they've been playing against that a lot their whole lives right so they kind of understand the like what the o is trying to accomplish and where you can kind of be a little bit more aggressive where you can kind of maybe sit back a little more um but no i think like college is uh incorporating box into their um, schedules is a great thing. I think a, it helps a grow box across, which is always a good thing. And then B it's, I think it just, it starts to include a different set of skills or things that players may need. Um, that'll translate to the field game. Well, right. Like getting a, like, whether it's like making just a quick pass, like you don't have that like time and space, this has to be quick like on the ear, maybe you're using like all your arms type of thing. Um, mm -hmm. Or it could be even like, like in tight, like right on top of the goal. Like you don't have that ability to pull your stick all the way back. You have to kind of keep your stick in front of your face to finish the ball. No, yeah, no, that makes sense. Do you think that it makes, it makes you more creative as a player? Because um, Frank came to one of my box games because it was near like uh, near his, his place. And afterwards he was like, like coaching me up like being like yo do this do that do this do that and like just from playing box that summer i got so much better with like no look passes quick like when you're doing two v2s and like a, a quick like over the shoulder flick where like you can keep your defenseman locked on you making him think that mm -hmm. you're gonna try to like run through him but you just flick it over your shoulder um you know getting more creative with like face dodge and like like you see how like how lyle thompson plays where like he'll roll and he won't put it necessarily in his left hand he'll just hold it yeah. one hand he'll lean into you and try to like survey the field and then like if he can get some space he'll do a twister like he'll do all those type of things and like are you you're starting to see more and more field players do the behind x shovel shots the yeah okay they're not respecting me at x i'm gonna dive through the crease like uh Eric Law just did in the one PLL game and yeah. things like that, that you really see more of in a box setting. Do you think that box uh, allows that creativity more than field does? Yeah, I think it, I don't know if it necessarily allows for more creativity. I think it's just like, they, these are just what box players have done for so long. Like, right. They don't like a lot of Canadians don't have an offhand, right. They kind of just have the ability to make a 10 to 15 yard pass with their offhand. And that's about it. Mm -hmm. But I think just growing up, that's just kind of what they were used to. So now you're kind of seeing more of these Canadians or even box players using like that creativity that they do in box. Like, so you're kind of seeing it more in the field game. And I find like Americans are starting to incorporate it more in their games too. Cause they're like, Oh, like I, I actually may not necessarily need to like come up from X in my left hand. I can just keep it in my strong hand and still be able to score a goal. No, that makes – yeah, no, that makes complete sense. Yeah, it was like uh, – the other thing is, too, is like there was kids that uh, we play against in box that were nasty, but then they're playing field at like a D3 or D2 school. And I was like, that makes no damn sense. But then again, it does because they're nasty at box and I'm pure ass at box and I was at a D1 <laughs> school. Um, but, I mean, you're, you're a box pro. You play in the NLL for the Rochester Nighthawks. Did you, did you always knew you were going to get drafted? Or, like, what was that process like um, from your senior year to your rookie season? So, funny enough, I actually wasn't drafted. Um, oh, okay, my bad. I thought you so, were. So, you know, so it's kind of weird. So, you, if you go play – if you play in the NLL, 
um, you either have to wait, you can either get drafted when you're 18 or you can go earlier, but you're giving up your eligibility to go play NCAA lacrosse entirely. Uh, so that's why most people who go to the States, they get drafted when they're about 22, 23 years old. Cause it's a summer after, or the, sorry, not summer, September after their senior year is when they'd be draft eligible. Uh, and so for my draft year, because I was going back to school in the States uh, for my graduate assistant. So even though I wasn't playing, um, I told like teams reached out to me and this is partially on, on me for like the miscommunication, but I basically told them, Oh yeah, I'm going back to school to do my master's. But I never clarified that I wasn't playing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was going to coach. And so I actually didn't end up getting drafted. Um, and it was one of my friends, actually, his dad is a coach in the NFL. He, uh, he texted me and he was like, are you still playing? He's like, are you playing? Uh, like, like, uh, at Hobart still. And I was like, no, I'm coaching. I'm going to like Merrimack to do, uh, a graduate assistant. He goes, LOL. He's like, you weren't drafted because everyone thought you were going back to play. I was like, Oh, (laughs) so, but regardless, so I didn't play at all of my technically when I, my first year I could have. And then that summer, because I wasn't drafted, I was considered a free agent and could sign wherever. Um, the general manager for the Nighthawks reached out and uh, we were able to work a deal. And so I was able to play my first year while doing, uh, I, was doing I was doing my second year uh, of the graduate assistant and I was playing in games, the ones I could make. So that was during the first COVID year. And I actually, I remember it was a Sunday. I flew out to Colorado on the Saturday and played the game Sunday, flew back Monday morning and I remember being in the office talking <laughs> with the coaches about COVID because this is when they're like, oh, it's getting kind of bad, blah, blah, blah. And then three days later, the school, basically the whole like NCAA shut down, like the school was shutting down. I had to move from basically Boston back home in like a day and a half because they were closing the borders. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I kind of had that um, – I had that year off. The other, the other thing too, with that too, it's like, so I, like, I was always like, um, like, I think college helped me. I was like, I think I was ready for it. But on top of that, um, before you like, cause for junior lacrosse is 16 to 21. So basically after you turn 21, you're too, like, or, uh, you're too old to play. So you, there's like senior lacrosse, so there's senior A and senior B. And I was drafted this uh, senior A and I played, I think two or three summers in senior A. And this is basically like the NLL, but in the summertime now. Is so that I'm the playing... same? Is that the same? Not to cut you off. Is that the same um, like division or league that, that uh, the six nation like chiefs are in? Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. Exactly okay. Right. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. So you, I basically got two summers of playing against NLL guys before I even had to play in the NLL. And uh, when you were, I mean, obviously you could just say no comment, <laughs> but when you were a free agent, were you like, oh, I hope the Toronto Rock get me or were just cause like, you know, you said you're a homebody. So were you just like, damn, it, it, in a perfect world, if the Rock could sign me, that that's where I was going to, or like, were you just like, look, I'm just looking for an opportunity. Whoever wants to sign me, I'll play. That's pretty much what it was. I was like, that's what I, I figured. 
Yeah, they yeah. just want to play. And the one thing with like the NLL, which is like different than every other professional sport, is like you don't make enough to like live off of. So everyone has um, a second job with that. And so you're, you're like in the NLL specifically, like you only play on weekends, right? So you're not actually away um, from where you're living during the week. So basically you go, you do your work week and say the game's on a Saturday, uh, depending where you're playing, like you'll either fly out or drive uh, the Friday, get there, um, do like a, like we do a, like a team practice, mm-hmm. except for uh, home games, whoever in Rochester. So we'd practice team meal, uh, go to bed, wake up Saturday morning. Uh, we do film before, uh, shoot around. We then, like, we're kind of on our own until the game time. So we had to go for, like, lunch. And then I'd always go for a little pregame nap. I'm always big on the naps. <laughs> Got um, to get the naps in. Yeah. And I, it, like, nap is in, like, quotation marks there. Like, some of these naps would be, like, three, four hours. <laughs> basically, getting mini, <laughs> <laughs> basically getting mini sleeps. But, uh, yeah, and then you wake up, play the game, and then team meal, like, team dinner again. And then we're kind of on our own for the night. So do you uh, do you think like so the explosion of like the PLL and obviously like all that um, they're doing there. Do you think that the NLL will ever get to that point where um, you and I don't I could be completely wrong here. But do you ever think that NLL will get to a point where the players have full time salaries where they could just solely play off that. And then it's one of those things where like the top one percent of the players are the people that. Um, are making the most amount of money, but generally like you're floating around, say a salary of like for everyone else at a, at a league minimum of like 50 to 60,000. And then you get benefits like full-time health insurance, or do you think that that's not for like years to come? Or do you think that never may happen? I think eventually it will, like you will be able to live off lacrosse. Um, unfortunately, mm-hmm. I don't think that'll be in my playing career. Uh-huh. Um, but like you're already starting to see some people are able to live off lacrosse with playing in the NLL, the PLL, doing like summer camps, sponsorship opportunities, right? So there is like a like a very small percentage of players that are able to live off it. But mm-hmm. I think for the vast majority, I think I don't want to like I don't know exactly when, but I think at some point it will like lacrosse. You will be able to live off it. You won't need that second job. Yeah, because I can't speak for other teams, but I know, like, being in Buffalo, like, when the Bandits were in the finals, like, game one against the Mammoth, that's, mm-hmm. like, that's the same arena the Sabres play in. The entire the, – this arena was sold out. Yeah, yeah. That was absurd. I remember, like, seeing that they were – like, and they were, like, sold out, like, five or six days before the game. It was, yeah. It wasn't like- – I mean – I, that could also just be Buffalo because I know you. <laughs> I know you know what Buffalo's like. We're, yeah. we're a bunch of lunatic. We're a bunch of lunatics up here. <laughs> yeah. um, no, but I have to ask because you know people that don't know you. I mean, I know you on a personal level. You're a massive teddy bear. You're one of the nicest <laughs> kids I've ever met. But you were throwing hands that one game, and I said to I always say that like as a joke. Um, that like you compare like. I would say five, ten years ago, even in like box or even in like say like the NHL, it almost seems like the game has become more of like a finesse and skill game. And the younger players, they're not so much trying to be tough guys; like they're just out there trying to like 
you know, entertain, they're trying to win games and you don't see as much fighting, like was, what was your role in that fight? Were you just like something happened and you're just like, no, I'm laying the law down or like, did you get cheap shotted? Like, cause I, I was oh. watching, I saw that game and then I saw like the, the helmets come off. I'm like, no way. I'm like, that's the boss. He's throwing it. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Yeah. So, well, to start like, fighting just in general specifically with lacrosse like they've been trying to like kind of get rid of it obviously they don't like there's issues with fighting and head injuries and that sort of thing so they've been slowly like kind of getting rid of it but they Mm -hmm. like so you got these younger guys that are more focused on right athleticism like like the league's the most athletic it's ever been it's not like what it used to be where like if you used to play in the NLL like some of the guys, they take their shirts off and they're like, you're a professional athlete? Like you're shaped no, like seriously. a goddamn pair. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, but um, so fighting is like, it still happens, but not nearly as much. But specifically with that fight, uh, I'm a bit of a mental midget when I play. Like I'm a very, like I like to think in life, I'm very like calm, composed, like very laid back. And then I play lacrosse and I, and I don't know what it is. Like a flip, or like a flip the switches, and um, I just like lose it. And so one of the things I don't like, I typically will snap on is like, if someone like hits me like, because you in box you wear like those kidney, um, yeah, pads. So if someone like hits me like like because you can hit them below, like, yeah. Typically, it's typically a pencil so that like that kind of happened, and I was like, oh mother. And I was like, so it happened like once I kind of let it go and then he did it again and then like kind of slashed me like right on my wrist and I just kind of blacked out and I was like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Just screaming at the top of my lungs in this guy's face. I just like grabbed his helmet and just like ripped it off. I'm like, we're going, we're going, we're going. And I was like, like, I remember like after the fight, I was like, what the hell was I yelling? I was like losing it. That's funny as hell, yeah. Because and then I think I was when it happened. I'm pretty sure I was still in Boston at the time. Eric, and I just remember commenting on your IG, and I just tagged Eric, and I was like, he would put you in the ground <laughs> just because you, you know how you know how Eric is. Like if you challenge his manhood or you challenge his toughness, he's like ready to go. So I just yeah. like living with him. I was always, I saw that picture that you posted, which I'm probably going to use uh, when I put this up is uh, I tagged him in that. And I was just like, yo, he would body you. And <laughs> just cause I, I don't know. I just thought it was funny, like messing with Eric, but is mm-hmm. that, is that the only fight you've ever been in? Or does it like just happen like that? Cause I will say like from even like, I didn't play box at the level you did, but like it, I will say does test your patience because you do have, uh, like you do have people that are out there, in my opinion, just trying to hurt you because they're goons. Yeah, it's like, so by no means am I a fighter. I think I've been in that was my own. I've only been in one fight in the NOL, mm-hmm. and then between junior and senior, I think I might have been in like four or five more. Um, but by no means am I like a fighter. It's not like I go out and I'm like looking for fights but i'm also in the same breath like i'm not gonna put up with like a lot of like the cheap shots in that right because cheap shots do happen i'm probably the biggest culprit of giving people cheap shots i do it all the time i still do mm-hmm. but um right so i kind of at some point i do put my foot down 
And then I'll like, I'm not afraid to like stick up for my teammates as well. Right. So it's not yeah. like I go into a game like, fuck, like I need to, like, I'm ready. I got to get in a fight this game. It's like, no, I'm just going to go out and play. Um, if things do get chippy, like I'm not afraid to, but it's not like by any means I'm going out looking for it. No, absolutely. Well, Tanner told me the one time, um, Tanner told me the one time Frank did too. He said that a lot of people in box and I, I'm not speaking for the NLL. Like I'm just strictly speaking, like when I was playing in that league, um, mm-hmm. they were both telling me that a lot of people in box, they like to bark, but very few people bite. And like, if mm-hmm. you don't, if you don't bark back or you're not just as intense back with them, they are like, okay, we got him. That's the guy we're going after. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Not many people, especially like just the way the game's kind of gone. Like there isn't really any true fighters on any team. It's not like, like I remember when I was 16 in junior A, like this is like the last year there was like true fighters in the league. There was like a, he was like a Canadian national boxing champion and he was strictly out there to fight. And you're like, what, like, what are we doing here? Yeah, this guy's insane, and so you don't really have those kind of guys anymore, which is it is very nice, but yeah, I think a lot of it is just like they're just trying to like almost show you up, right? Not many people will actually throw hands anymore, yeah. That was my yeah, because the one game, um, I a kid was like kept grabbing me every time I was around the crease, and they're he's just like, Yo, you're the tallest out there, they're gonna go for you every time. And I'm like, Yeah, I'm not trying to fight though. And they're like, Yeah, but if you don't show that you're willing to fight, they're just gonna keep doing that. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, so, I'm like, Knowing my luck, I'll bark back, and then next thing you know, my cage is getting ripped off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you get, you get some psychos like that, but that's like, like one of the biggest things. Like, if you don't, if you don't stand up for yourself. Like, they're not going to stop, right? No, so. 100%. Yeah, I actually was just uh, texting Darden. I told him I was recording with you right now. And I uh, I was like, I asked Boz who the softest uh, and biggest kiss ass on the team was. And he said Darden. And he, he laughed at it. And he goes, stop. He's like, stop it right now. He's like, you did not say that. <laughs> I miss Marks. I, I literally haven't seen Darden since uh, he graduated. Or maybe like the one alumni game. But like. I literally haven't seen him in so long, and I miss his this humor. <laughs> yeah, I saw him um, last time. I saw him was I want to say two summers ago. Uh, I was down in I was down in Maryland, and I stopped by when he was on his lunch break. I stopped by work and saw him. He, I talked to him all the time. He hasn't changed one bit. That doesn't surprise me at all. Now he's just a big time PLL model. I know, right? <laughs> uh, and he he does like ticket sales and all that stuff for him, which is kind of funny. That's yeah, no, sweet. he's a character. Um, yeah, so like wrapping up here, um, pretty much a couple final questions I have for you. I ask everyone similar questions. Um, first one, since you graduated college, what has been the biggest, I would say, like lessons or learning experiences that like you had to soak on the chin and you faced since entering the real world that like when you were in college you either just like didn't think would happen or you just like didn't even like understand about the real world Hmm, that's a good one god well, i was kind of fortunate because i didn't like right when i finished at hobart i was like i don't know what i don't know what i want to do with my life so i'll just go back to school <laughs> stay in school <laughs> <laughs> so i've only been like this is only my second year out of school but um, one of the biggest things is just like, 
like it's the reality of just being like like once you're done school it's almost like you're just expected like okay you're an adult go figure out your life mm-hmm. um and so like i'm 26 years old and i still <laughs> barely have any idea what the hell i'm doing <laughs> half the time so i think it's just the reality of just like just kind of like that growing up aspect and still like like grocery shopping uh like some things I'm like, I go grocery shopping and I pick up and I'm like, I had no idea this was this expensive. Like how do people afford laundry detergent every year? Like, so I think that, that's probably like the biggest thing is just like the reality of like, no one's really doing anything for you anymore, right? You're kind of expected to do everything. You don't like, not everything on your own, but you're like kind of alone for the most part, kind of figuring everything out. No, absolutely. And then the, um, the last question I have um, that I like to ask everyone, because I'm always curious what to say, is if you today could meet 18-year-old Chris, what things would you tell him? And it can be about anything. Oh, probably you need to anger management classes earlier in life. But uh, <laughs> no, um, honestly, it would probably just be like, like it's just cliche. It's very cliche, but like almost like trust the process, right? Just kind of, mm-hmm. right? Something, not everything's going to go your way and that's perfectly fine, right? It's okay for, right? Maybe a bit of failure, a couple mishaps, right? Not everything will go exactly how you imagine or envision it, mm-hmm. um, but just kind of go with it, right? I kind of, like even to this day, like one of my biggest faults, I can get very focused on, or stressed about certain things, I can't really like get my mind off that. Right. And it's just like, Oh, you know what? It's going to happen. Like this, like this, whatever took place, just kind of run with it, make it the, try and put a positive spin on it and just kind of run with it. No. Yeah. That, that, that's awesome. I like that a lot. Um, well that is, and then I think that's where we ended is on that. So I, uh, I greatly appreciate you doing this, taking the time. It's always good to catch up with you. And then, um, you know, when you got a free weekend, let me know. You got to, you got to get up here to Buffalo. Oh, the yeah. boys again. I know. Now that COVID's over, I am, I'm going on tour of America. I'm visiting yeah, everyone you, everywhere. <laughs> you have to. And I feel like, I don't know, I could be biased, but I could only because I've heard it so many times from people that don't live here and aren't from here. But I feel like to outsiders, like I don't consider you an outsider, but you know what I mean by that, mm-hmm. is uh, Buffalo is like such a unique place. And it's also kind of like just a war zone. And when I say war zone, it's like like people come here and they're just like, you guys are nuts. There's like no rules here. Yeah, I love <laughs> Buffalo. I've, I said this for like, I said this in college. I was like, Buffalo is its own state in the United States. <laughs> Buffalo it is. is its own state. <laughs> It's its own country. My, uh, yeah. my roommates from Mercyhurst, uh, two of them were from Buffalo, but the other two, the one was from Jersey and the other one was from Cleveland. And anytime like something about Buffalo got brought up, he's like, I hate that place. It's a black hole. Cause he's just like, <laughs> it's just, you know, you, you could just use your imagination for why he thinks that. <laughs> yeah. So Buffalo is a great place. <laughs> yeah. It's the best. And so, um, but all right, my man, I greatly appreciate it. It was a pleasure. No problem. Yeah, thank you for having me on. It was great doing this and catching up with you. Absolutely. Sounds good, man. Thank you again. See ya.